In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. <clears throat> I like to recommend good books in my homily sometimes. C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read that book, you should read it. The book is about, <clears throat> well, it's a series of letters, obviously fictional, written by C.S. Lewis from the perspective of a demon who is <clears throat> writing to his demon nephew on how to tempt a human being. So it's letter after letter, and you kind of get the story about the progress uh, the kind of events of the life of the human subject, as he calls him, um, from the demon's letter. It's not scary, don't worry. Um, and it's a really good book, a really good insight into how the devil tempts us. Well, there's many things that we can say about that. One of the things that, that Screwtape says to his nephew is, as much as possible, try to get your human subject to think in abstractions, to think in, in ideas, to think vaguely. Don't let him focus his mind on what's immediately in front of him, but let him think in the realm of the ideas. Of course, the devil wants to do that because when we think on the level of ideas, we're distracted from really what's going on right in front of us. And a lot of bad things can happen. So this is what we so often do with each other. I know this about myself, and I know that most, if not all, people do this as well. So often, what we'll do is we'll attach a standard to the people in our lives. <clears throat> so spouses will do this with each other. A husband will say, will think about his wife. This is what wife means. This is the idea of wife. Now let me apply that idea to my wife and, sh and see how she's living up to it. Oh, she's not living up to it? Of course she's not, because nobody's perfect. Nobody lives up to our ideas. Oh, she's not living up to it? Let me shame her until she does live up to it. Let me get mad at her until she does the things that I want. Let me badger her until she becomes what's the idea of a wife in my mind. The wife will do the same for a husband. Oh, I have an idea of what a husband should be, and my husband is not fulfilling this thing, so let me nag him or bother him or do whatever until he becomes what my idea is. All the while, and of course we do this with our kids, we do this with our siblings, we do this with our parents, we do this with our friends, we do this with everybody around us. All the while, missing the person that's right in front of us, being distracted by the idea from the actual person, the concrete reality that's right in front of us. And of course the devil wants to do that because have you ever had that experience when somebody is vulnerable to you? All of a sudden when you see somebody in their honesty and in their weakness kind of reaching out for help, and then all of a sudden, all your guards are down and you want to help them out. You just immediately want to jump to, to be good to them. That's God working. The devil wants to be, to be convincing us <clears throat> to think only in abstractions so that we miss the actual person that's right in front of us. So that we don't do the will of God. So then what is the will of God? 
The will of God is to be focused on our immediate context. The will of God is to live in the present moment in the things that we are doing right now with the actual things that are around us and interior to us. Not to be living in this abstract metaphysical uh, world of ideas. It's to be living right now with the people that are around us. Because once we know the people around us, once we understand them, and we understand them in their weaknesses, and we understand them in their deficiencies, and we understand ourselves in our own weaknesses and our own deficiencies, once we understand all this, then we'll be a force of good. Then we'll try to help. Then we'll try to do what's right for the people around us. But when we just think in ideas and we attach ideas to each other, and of course nobody's going to live up to our ideas, we just start harming people. We just start trying to control people into becoming what our idea says they should be. Why do I say all this now? In the gospel reading today, Jesus goes with his mother and his disciples to an actual wedding and where there are actual people. And in this actual event, they actually run out of wine. Mother Mary says, noticing that they ran out of wine and noticing the implications, says to Jesus, oh, they ran out of wine, telling him, do something about it, fix the situation for them. Gezilei, they are gonna be embarrassed. And of course, they're gonna be embarrassed, right? I mean, if you've ever been to a Chaldean wedding and they've run out of wine, it's not a good thing. So. They run out of wine. Jesus could have, Mary could have, any of the disciples could have, anybody in that room could have easily said, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with this host? Did he not figure it out? How is it that he's so irresponsible? Did he miscalculate how many people are going to come? Did he miscalculate how much people are going to drink? Look at the situation that we're in now. There's no more wine. What are we going to do? So instead of absolutely destroying the host for... Maybe making a mistake, God forbid. Mary says, there's a mistake, there's a deficiency. Let's fix it, Jesus, do something about it. And Jesus does. He says, okay, bring these stone jars, fill them up with water and bring them to me. And, he, and they do, and Jesus turns the water into wine. And now the party has overabundant wine, overflowing wine, more wine than they can imagine, more wine that they, than they would use, than they would ever use. And the wine tasted better than what they provided in the first place. So now the host is glorified by everybody. Thing to note with this is that so often we want to hold ourselves back from Jesus. So often we're afraid to give ourselves over to Christ. But what we have, which is very ordinary and very normal, very often bland, that we, put, we want to possess with all of our mights and all of our control, afraid that we're going to lose these things. If we just let go and hand it over to Jesus, Jesus does not need the water. He's the son of God. Jesus does not need the stuff that he's asking from us. He's asking them from us so that we can trust him. So that when we give it over to him, he can transform it into something magnificent. She can change something ordinary into something great and then give it back to us 
in, much more, in a much more volume, much greater form than what we gave it to him in the first place. He doesn't want to just hold on to it. He wants to give us something greater. But let's think about this in terms of our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Because remember that, and think about this, how, how much things like anxiety and depression and stress and loneliness and just this ill feeling about life, how much it's increased in recent years. And think about that and think about how much people are struggling, how much you are struggling, how much everybody around you is struggling. This seems to have become a very ordinary, a very normal, a very bland thing, a very bland situation that we're all dealing with at the moment. It seems to be like it's in the air. And yet, what do we so often do? We see somebody and they're depressed and we want nothing to do with it. We see somebody and they're having a hard time, and we want nothing to do with it. It's uncomfortable for us. But sometimes you run, a, you run into a situation where people are getting so anxious, so depressed, that it's dragging them down, and it's dragging other people down with them. Sometimes it even becomes a suicidal situation. And then we think back and think and wonder, could I have done something? Should I have done something? And the answer most likely is, I think we all could have done something more. Let's take an ordinary situation. The fact that we're all weak, the fact that we're all deficient, the fact that we're all in need and all in pain, the fact that we're all suffering. Let's take that ordinary situation and confront it. The devil says, just think about the idea. Oh, they're not living up to the idea? Forget about them. Dismiss it. Go to the next person. Somebody else will fulfill your desires and satisfy you. When God is really calling us to actually do something about it in real life and in real time, let's take something ordinary like depression, like anxiety. Let's take something ordinary like the pain and suffering that every single human being is enduring. Maybe in a hidden way, but let's call them out of their hiddenness and ask them to be open and to dialogue so that together we can offer this thing over to Jesus. And something that is otherwise bland and boring, like water, something that's or otherwise just very ordinary, Jesus will take it and he'll do something new with it. He'll bring life into it. He'll tra transform it into something magnificent. And then he'll give it back to us and it'll be greater than we ever imagined. He'll do something with it that we can't even think about. He'll surprise us with his goodness and with his touch of love. But it does take, brothers and sisters, for you and I to really live with each other, seeking to understand one another, and then seeking to love one another. Love, not in the sentiment, not in the mere feeling, but in the verb, caritas, the Latin, which is a, it's an action. To love one another as Christ has loved us, to lower ourselves so that we can be there for one another and so that people can feel that they're not alone, that they're not isolated, that they don't suffer by themselves, but that in you, who are the face of Christ in this world, that's what it means to be Christian, in you, people can see Christ and trust him that if they give their water, their ordinary feeling, their ordinary circumstances over to him, 
He will change it into something absolutely beautiful. Amen.